Well, we know our reading this morning is going to come from Romans chapter 12, but I'm going to start reading uh, just a little bit before our text, just to put it in context, reading from uh, verse 9, Romans 12, and reading from verse 9. This is what Paul says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together as we come to open God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word speaks to us. We thank you that your word encourages us. We thank you that your word helps us. And we thank you that your word gives us hope. And we pray that as we dig deep into your word this morning that you will do just that, that you will give us encouragement and hope and determination to continue serving and following you. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> thought you'd like that. Yeah, New Year's resolution. It, it's, we don't make New Year's, resolution, New Year's res- resolutions because we recognise that there are things in our lives that we need to change. That's normally what we do. Uh, Sometimes people, uh, anybody ever thought in this new year, I'm going to get myself fit? Maybe, uh, you know, start doing uh, one or two. Yeah, somebody at the back's admitting that. Uh, Some people start thinking, I'm going to get healthy, and and they they start thinking they're going to start eating healthy and eating more fruit and vegetables. But we do it because we recognize uh, that we're not, perfect, so that we're not perhaps even as good as we could be. And in in giving ourselves a New Year text, uh, one of the reasons we do this, in in a sense it's like giving ourselves a New Year's resolution, that these are things that we are going to uh, try and do together as a church. We're going to commit ourselves to these things in this text, and that we will literally carry this text with us. That's one of the reasons why we give you a bit of paper with it written on in the hope 
that you will learn it. And as I've said, it's a very easy uh, text to learn this morning because it says... Yeah, you see, you've got it already. I've given you a very... Sometimes I give you a text for like with 20 words to learn it. This is, is so easy. You've probably already uh, started to learn it. But I do really mean it. It's worth learning the text and in, in learning it off by heart so that you can carry it around with you and that you can call it to mind uh, in, in times of difficulty, times of trouble, that you have this text and you can think, yeah, this is the text that we, we spoke about at the beginning of the year. We committed ourselves... Uh, to these things that Paul writes about. So then, this is our text for the year. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I want to, before we kind of explore it, I want to put it into the context that Paul is speaking about. Uh, Romans 12 is a passage that many of you will be familiar with. It starts off with those very encouraging words, again, talking about what we've been just talking about, really. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourself bodies of living sacrifices, holy and pleasing of God. This is your spiritual acts of worship. Do not conform any longer to this pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, about changing, allowing God to change us. And then, in the immediate context, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. And then our text for the year, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So by the time we get to our text for the year, um, we, we see that it's surrounded by this idea of love. So the context of our text for the year is being sincere in love. Uh, loving each other, uh, loving our brothers and sisters, uh, being kind to people even when they're not kind to us, uh, promoting good over evil, making sure that good overcomes evil. This is the context in which Paul is speaking into. And I want to home in just in our text for the year. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer splits itself nicely into three things, doesn't it? Which us preachers just absolutely love. It's a delight when you don't really have to do any work on the, on the text and come up with some fancy headings because the text is good enough. But there's one thing about this text. Which of these three things is the odd one out, would you say? Which is the odd one out? Out of these three things, be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, faithful in prayer. Which is the odd one out? This is a question that I'm asking you to respond to. It's not a rhetorical question. You can put your hands up or you can just shout out. Which is the odd one out, would you say, of these three things? Shout it out. Ros is suggesting that the odd one out is this one. Patience in affliction. You, the, the clue is that it went round in a circle, so you, you've got it right, Ros. And it's the odd one out because, uh, you know, joy, hope, faithfulness and prayer, these are all positive things. These are all things that, that we can do. And these are things that, in a sense, we have some sort of control over. But affliction is something that happens to us. That very often we have no control over whatsoever. So actually, I'm not going to take these in the order 
you know, number one, be joyful in hope. Number two, be patient in affliction. Number three, be faithful in prayer. I'm going to start with the most difficult one. Be patient in affliction. And I've got some, some news for you about this that some of you may be surprised about and some of you may not be surprised about. Because the first thing that I want to say about being patient in affliction is that affliction is the normal. How encouraging is that at the beginning of the new year for your pastor to be telling you that affliction is normal? You might think it's not very encouraging. This message will become encouraging. But I I, I start here, that affliction is the normal. Now, some of you might want to straight away, you know, uh, argue back at me and say, well, Richard, it shouldn't be. Uh, doesn't, doesn't God's word say that he's going to protect us? Doesn't God's word say that he, he wants the best for us? Uh, you know, you'll have heard a, a gospel that tells you that if you ever face affliction, all you need to do is, is turn to Jesus and the affliction will disappear. I'm, for, I'm, I'm sure you will have heard that preached, if not here, somewhere else. You will have heard that, this idea that our afflictions uh, can just be taken away if we give it to Jesus. But I want to say to you right at the beginning that affliction is the normal situation in this life. It's not my idea. I actually actually robbed it from a a guy called John Piper. This is what he says. Uh, He's using a version that, that uses the word tribulation instead of affliction. He says, tribulation is the normal experience of believers in this life. Some tribulations we share with unbelievers like sickness and calamity and death and some is unique to believers like persecution for Christ's sake. But my main point here is that tribulation is normal and to be expected in this world. It is the setting for all our love and joy and hope and patience and prayer. Affliction is where we live. If you don't live there now, you will. Learning that this is normal will be a great help when it comes. Wise words, I think. Wise words. Tribulation is the normal experience of believers. Now, if you're not experiencing uh, affliction, tribulation, trouble, calamity, hardship, pain, or suffering in your life at this moment in time, then do be thankful for that. But do understand that you are the person who is unique in that situation because most people, if they're not doing at this moment in time, they will do. They will experience affliction in their lives. Affliction is normal. We don't, you don't need to meet to like you don't need to turn your television sets on to know that this is the world that we live in. Deadly Ebola breaks out in, in Africa. Uh, even at New Year celebrations, there was the Shanghai Stampede. And of course, uh, there's all sorts of grief and suffering all around the world. But closer to home, there was a tragedy in Glasgow when those six shoppers were killed just before Christmas. This is the world that we live in. And we don't come to church to escape from that world and to have a, an hour's pleasantness where we think about positive and, and good things and, uh, and, and say, oh, that was very nice, but now we've got to go out, back out into that horrible world where we actually live that is full of afflictions. And it is the normal experience, even for the Christian. As I said, some of us have been brought up with the idea 
you know, that, that God's not going to let anything bad happen to us, that God's going to protect us, that God's going to remove any affliction as soon as it appears. I'm not sure where people get those ideas from. Well, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I know exactly where people get those ideas from. Um, but I don't think they're reading the Gospels and Scripture in the same way that I'm reading them, or the same way that Paul seems to speak about them in his letters to the churches. So, affliction is normal, I'm sorry to say it. I wish it was different. I wish that we could just pray it away. I really do. I really do. But the reality is, affliction is the norm. Trust me, it gets better. It gets better. Affliction is the normal. Affliction is where we live for a lot of the time in this world. Now, part of the problem is, we live in a pretty good part of the world. Do you realize that? We live in a pretty good part of the world. Um, you know, if you were born in, in, a, in drought or famine, uh, Africa, um, affliction would just be your everyday life. The struggle for everyday food, clean water, somewhere to live, would just be the norm. We, a lot of the time, are sheltered from these extreme things. Even the weather, you know, the weather in Rosendale, I've never experienced weather like it uh, anywhere else I've lived. But it's not as bad as the weather that some people get. You know, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, it's a lot worse elsewhere. So a lot of the time in this world, we look around and, and we don't see the sort of affliction that we actually see on our television sets. We don't see people starving to death in Lum. Uh, we don't see even the Ebola, you know, what was it, two people in Britain have got Ebola. Thousands of people have died already in Africa from Ebola. We don't get it as bad. And so the tendency is, is to think when, when affliction strikes us that this is something unusual. And we perhaps look at other people and we think they're living a life that doesn't involve affliction. And, and why is it happening to us? It's not fair. But actually this is the world that we live in. This is the world that you and I and the rest of the people in this world live in. And we are faced, if not on a daily basis, there will be afflictions that come into our lives at certain times. And as I look around this congregation, I can't see many people that in one way or another have not been affected by some sort of affliction. That's the, 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 the reality. And sometimes it helps just to, just to say that. Just to say it. So that you know that when you suffer... You're not suffering an experience that nobody else can relate to. There are other people who are suffering as well. And, and Paul says we are to be patient in affliction, which is a difficult thing to say and a difficult thing to do. So affliction is the normal, affliction is where we live, and affliction is what Jesus experienced in this world. Affliction is what Jesus experienced. Even before he was born... He was born into a family, an unmarried family. He was born into affliction. He it hardly got out of the stable before Herod was trying to kill him and he had to flee to Egypt. As soon as he started teaching, he faced affliction and persecution and opposition. And the affliction didn't just come from those of outside, even inside his own people, he faced affliction. Even his own disciples caused him affliction. That was what Jesus faced. That was what Paul faced. If you read Paul's letters, he talks 
time and time again about the fact that he's, he's, he's been shipwrecked, he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, all for the sake of the gospel. He experienced affliction. Christian sisters and brothers, why would we expect not to experience affliction? Why would we expect to be treated differently than God's own son, from Paul, from the disciples? They all experienced affliction. And we can just look at a couple of examples. Jesus himself said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That meant that anybody who wasn't prepared to face death, and for Jesus' first disciples, it, meant, it virtually meant death following him, uh, cannot be my disciple. Peter, uh, knowing this full well, says, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Something unique or obscure is happening to you because you are facing affliction and pain and suffering in your life. This shouldn't come to us as a surprise, but the reality is it does, and it knocks us off our feet because we're not expecting it to happen. At the beginning of the new year, my message, and it will be a message of hope, is that some of us will face You know, we say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year, in many respects, is wishful thinking, isn't it? We hope, it's hopeful thinking, we hope it will be a Happy New Year. But the reality is, when we look back at the past year and the years that have gone by, we know that bad things happen. So I think I've made the point, I've probably gone more than making the point, but what I'm saying to you is affliction is, is the norm. It's the normal human experience. It's the normal Jesus follower experience as well. We are not protected from the afflictions that affect the world. But, and thanks be to God, there is a but. Um, And it is a big but. It's a huge but. Because we can be patient in affliction. And to be patient in affliction, we need to go back to our text and put it in context. Because Paul says, be joyful in hope. So let's hear, we, we need, you need to hear a bit of joy now, don't you? After all that pain and, and suffering, you, you need something to be uplifted. And in all seriousness, when we are suffering, when we are facing affliction, we need something. And here it is for you. Paul says, be joyful in hope. And let me tell you, when, when Paul talks about joy, he's talking about Christian joy. He's not talking about the laughter that we hear, you know, when somebody makes a joke, Peter, you know. Uh, It's not that sort of joy. The Christian joy is a joy that is rooted in hope. Okay? So, the great thing about Christian joy is that nothing can remove this joyful hope that we have. No hardships, no sufferings, because it's not, based, it's not based in our experiences. The hope that we have is not even based in this life that we live now. Our hope, oh, we've sang it a couple of times in the different songs this morning, our hope is based in Jesus Christ and nothing less. In his sacrifice on the cross, that's where we get our hope from. So be joyful in hope. Our joy is rooted in our hope. Our joy is rooted in our hope. 
And again, this hope, you know, hope is not to be confused with wishful thinkings. I hope that my team finishes in the top four and gets Champions League football next year. You might hope that your team avoids relegation and is still playing in the premiership next year. Both are wishful thinking. We, we, we're just wishing that good things happen. It's, it's not based on anything but our own wishful thinking that we, we want good in, in our lives to happen. The Christian hope is based on something much more solid, something much more secure. It's based on a foundation that nothing can remove. Because our hope is based on a solid foundation. It's based on a past experience. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. It happened. It happened in history. It's already taken place. And nothing can remove that. And our hope is based in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Something that happened in the past. Our hope is also based in a present reality that Jesus is with us. Whatever situations we might face this year, in every single situation, we can be absolutely confident that Jesus will remain with us. We might find it hard to actually see him because of the circumstances and experiences that kind of darken our outlook, and we might not be able to see God and Jesus as real, as, as, as easily as, as we do when things are going well. But he is still there. The other night I had to go and pick up uh, my eldest daughter, New Year's Eve, well, that's the New Year's morning. She'd been out with some friends in Burnley. Uh, not the most desirable place to go on New Year's Eve, but hey, who am I? And uh, as I came back over, over, the, over, over the tops, I could barely see my hand in front of my face. There was this fog that kind of just seemed to appear, and I couldn't see anything. Did it mean the road wasn't there? No. The road was still there. Was the, were, were the hills still there? Were the sheep still there? Was the sky still there? It was still there, but I couldn't see it because of the, the fog and the mist that were surrounding me. I, I put my headlights on full beam, and that makes it worse. I dropped them back to ordinary lights. And you could just about make out. I'll I, I tell you how bad it was. I nearly missed the turning to get onto Burnley Road East. I nearly missed it because you just couldn't see. You couldn't see it. And sometimes that's what it feels like in life. We can't see God because of the situations that we find ourselves in. This mist that falls. But be absolutely certain and sure because God's word says Jesus is with us. His promise at the end of the gospel in Matthew 28 is that I will be with you to the very end of the age. And it's not come yet. So Jesus is still with us. So our hope is based on a past experience. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. It's based on a present reality that Jesus is with us in every situation. And it's based on a future promise. Eternal life. Our hope is that the best is yet to come. Our hope is that the best is yet to come. We have a hope that outlives this life. We have a hope of eternity. Um, C.S. Lewis, 
famous author and Christian writer, says this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things as Christ, the Christ, a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who fought most of the next. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they became so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. What Lewis is saying here is that we need to think about heaven more than we do. The problem, again, is that many of us in this life, we think we, we, we have it really good and, and we, don't, we, we cling on to this life and to this world because we experience, most of the time, we experience a pretty good life. You know, I don't want to die and go to heaven tomorrow. I want to see my children grow up and, and, and live. I, that's not what, I, that's not what I, I want to do. Other people think about heaven a lot more because this life on earth is pretty much a life of hell. You know the old spiritual uh, black songs? Uh, what did they sing about? They sang about heaven. Why? Because their experience on earth was so horrible. Their experience on earth was nothing but suffering and awfulness and their hope was based firmly in the next life. They thought that the best was yet to come. And we too know that the best is yet to come, that we will one day live in a place where there isn't any affliction, where there isn't any suffering, where there isn't any pain, where all that will be removed. But that place is called heaven. It isn't called earth. And sadly on earth we have to face affliction and suffering and pain. But we do it with a hope. And it is the hope of heaven but it's also the hope that God is with us and that God remains with us. And so, there we have it. Be joyful in hope. We're not going to be laughing. Um, you know, when Paul says he rejoices in his suffering, uh, we shouldn't think that he's, he's there playing his tambourine and singing and praising God You know, as people are throwing stones at him and locking him in prison. Although even in prison, uh, they were able to sing songs of praise uh, because they had that hope that whatever anybody does to us you can't remove things that are eternal at the end of the story God wins we know that but we are immersed in this battle uh, against evil you know, Paul says we don't, we don't fight, uh, you know, blood and, 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 and physical things. We, our battles are spiritual. We have a spiritual battle that we are fighting against all the time. And there is evil in this world. And again, we all need to turn on television sets to see the evil that is around us in this world. Uh, that as Christians, we are called to fight against. So the joy that we have is not based in our situations, it's not based in our circumstances, it's based in the hope that God gives us in his son Jesus Christ. 
So we can be joyful in hope. If you've never seen the film, Shawshank Redemption, it's not a film to watch with the kids. It's quite horrific. But it's a film that really speaks about hope in dreadful situations. A guy that's been imprisoned uh, for life uh, can't let go of hope. And there's all sorts of really good, good phrases. But here's one. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. Even in the worst possible situation when our freedom has been removed from us, uh, you can't remove hope, even in a hopeless situation, because hope is something that is there if, they, if people have it. And this guy had it in this film. And he said, fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free. And how does hope set us free? Well, you see, if we're not living for this world... We don't have to spend all our time chasing after the things of this world. We can be released to do exactly what Paul says in this passage. Uh, we don't have to repay people evil with evil. We can repay people who are evil to us with good. We can seek to bless people rather than uh, persecute people. We can mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice because we're not chasing after the things of this world because we've been set free. Hope sets us free. We don't need a big house and a big car and loads of money because we know that in this world we will still face affliction. Okay, it's nicer to face affliction in comfortable circumstances. Don't get me wrong, I'm not silly. You know, if, if somebody wanted to give me, you know, £25,000, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to refuse it. It would make my life more comfortable. It wouldn't stop me facing affliction. It would just, just comfort it a little bit. You know, and that's, that's what most of us experience in, in the West. I've already said, haven't we? You know, that we don't ex- experience affliction to the same degree as in other parts of the world, but we still face it. And yet we do so with hope. We do so with hope. So be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, and faithful in prayer. You see, prayer is the one thing that we can do. And we can do it, especially when we're faced with affliction. As somebody once said, Whenever your hope seems to fail you and your joy begins to sink, the best response is to take to your knees. Whenever your hope seems to fail you and your joy begins to sink, the best response is to take to your knees and to turn to God in prayer. But Paul says, you know, we are to be faithful in prayer. He says that because prayer is where we meet, prayer is where we meet God. Now, am I faithful in prayer is if the only time I pray is when I'm in trouble? Is that being faithful in prayer? When I'm at my wit's end, when I don't know what else to do, I suddenly turn to God in prayer. Am I being faithful in prayer? No. Am I being faithful in prayer if I just pray to God at the beginning of the day or the end of the day? Well, well, not really. It just becomes a a habit. It's a good habit to get into, but I'm not really being faithful in prayer. I'm being faithful in prayer. Being, Being faithful means, you know, Uh, sticking at it, uh, doing something and committing yourself to doing it all the time. And that's what Paul says we are to do, to be faithful in our prayers. So we pray in good times, we pray in bad times, we just pray all the time because it's where we meet God, but it's also where God meets us. It's a conversation, it's an ongoing conversation. And it's not just about presenting God with a load of, a list of, of requests, you know, sometimes people get mixed up, don't they, between Santa and God, because, uh, you know, we, we picture them both as old men with, with white beards, you know, with a, a, a smile and a kindly face, don't we? 
And what do people do with Santa? Well, they present him with a list of things that they want. When do people stop believing in Santa? When they don't get a list of things that they want. What do some people do with God? They present him with a list of things that they want. When do people stop believing in God? When God doesn't come up with a list of things that they want. We pray to God, not because we want to get something from God, but we pray to God out of our relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. We talk to him. We converse with him. Sometimes it's good to, to, to use, you know, read set prayers. Sometimes we, we don't know what to pray. That's why it's good to have books of prayers so we can use prayers that other people have prayed when we don't know what to pray. We can still pray, even if we've not got the words. We can ask other people to pray for us uh, because we don't feel able to pray. But the important thing is, as far as Paul is concerned, is that we are faithful in prayer and that we keep on doing it. So this is our text for the year. Um, Be faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Patience in affliction. Faithful in prayer. And I hope that this text will carry you. You'll carry it with you through the year. But also that this text will carry you at times when you need it. And that you will learn it. That you'll stick it on your fridge or by your mirror. So it's there in front of you every day. And you will try to be joyful in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That when affliction comes, that we'll be patient because we know that God is with us and that God's people are with us. And that we will be faithful in prayer because we continue in our relationship with God and we continue to talk to him and allow him to speak to us.